0: Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with host Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, Annie Highwater, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery Team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, Coming Up for Air.
1: Good morning, everybody. This is Laurie McDougall. I'm Coming Up for Air, and today I'm here with Kayla Solomon. How are you, Kayla? I'm good. Good morning or
2: afternoon, wherever you are.
1: Dominique is taking a little bit of a hiatus. She'll be back with us again soon, I'm sure. But today's topic, what we're starting off with is... What happens when you give advice?
2: (laughs) We're just going to (laughs) chuckle. Kayla giggles. Yeah. So what do you think happens, Kayla, when you give advice? I don't know about anybody else. It doesn't usually work out well for me. (laughs) And I just want you to know that I'm somebody that I like to be right. I like to be helpful. You know, like I have these brilliant ideas and so I just want to share them because I think it could be so useful to other people. Mm, yeah, but for some reason, I'm not received well when <laughs> I give it as advice. What about you, Laurie? <laughs>
1: it's the same for me. It's the same for me when I give advice. I have gone to great lengths the past couple of years to make sure that I'm not giving advice. And then when I do, I actually pace the floor With why did I do that? Why did I give
2: advice? (laughs) Why did I do that? So let's talk about why people don't respond well to advice. Yeah, let's talk about that. Why is that? I have, here's my first theory. Okay. Okay. My first theory is advice sounds like telling somebody what to do. Yeah. Okay. And nobody that I have ever met in my entire life, including two-year-olds, like to be told what to do. I think that what happens is when you perceive that somebody's telling you what to do, or somebody knows the answers for you and knows what you should be doing, that it incites this number one reactivity because you feel like you're being made wrong, or you feel like somebody thinks that you know better than you know. And the other thing is that it, that you get rebellious and that they fight back because I feel the same way when somebody tells me what to do. It's like, You think you're smarter than me. You think you know better than I do. It feels like somebody is pushing at me when somebody tells me what to do.
1: I think I'm a lot like you, Kayla, because I also think I tend to be a little bit of a right fighter, meaning that, no, no, this is right. This is right. And I've had to kind of learn that, no, Laurie, you know, no, that's that's not necessarily true. It may be right for you, but it might not be right for somebody else. Exactly. And I also feel the same way that I kind of get a little on the defensive side when someone's telling me what I should do. Why? Why do I get on the defense? Because I think there's a lot of reasons why. My first thought is, you think I didn't think of that? Yes. Right. You think it didn't come up in my mind and I didn't think of that. And also, I think a lot of the reasons there's a lot going on inside of my mind that I'm thinking about that you don't know that you don't know about, that maybe there's little reasons that I don't want to share with you why I don't want to do it that way. But also, I think that I can figure it out. If you're telling me what I should do, especially in a forceful way, and you're getting frustrated with me because I'm not doing it the way you think I should do it, then I just feel like I want to figure it out for myself. Do you think I'm
2: that stupid that I can't do it. Where to quote my father, what do you think? I'm an idiot. That's what it feels like. It's like, it feels almost like a put down with what you're saying. That's exactly, you know, you don't think I thought of that. You don't think I think that's, I, I'm stupid enough to come up with this and exactly what you're saying, but there's a reason that that person is thinking that's not going to work. Right. So I also think that there's this other aspect of it, which is that, that we do it out of anxiety. A lot of times when we're trying to tell somebody what to do or give them these really good ideas. It's because we're anxious that if only they would do this, everything would be okay. And I think when we do anything out of anxiety, and we've talked about this a million times, when it comes from anxiety, it actually brings up somebody else's anxiety because they could hear your desperation. They could hear your upset. They could hear the fact that you're freaking out and then they get anxious just even thinking about it. And then that's not helpful to them either.
1: Right, it amplifies everything. Yes. You know, it's interesting. We had this great conversation this week in the rest meetings and this particular comment came up and it was great to hear this mom said, I'm constantly thinking that if the other person would just do what I'm saying, I would feel so much better. Yes. I'm fighting that. You know, I'm fighting that within myself that no, this person is not responsible for making me feel a particular way. And It may be that I feel better if they do what I say, but then something else is going to come up and I'm going to use that as an excuse to feel the way I'm feeling. And I'm going to have to force
2: that as well. Right. So it becomes about you. Right. And that's the thing is people don't want to take your stuff on. And this is actually a way that you transmit your disturbance is by telling people what to do. It feels controlling. It feels anxiety producing. It feels demeaning to the other person. And it goes back to us really respecting the dignity of the other person, respecting their choices, respecting the fact that they have their own process that they're engaging in. And I think this is really difficult because it feels like we, most of us have learned that giving advice is helpful that we're just trying to be helpful and we don't understand why it's not received well. And it feels hurtful when you're just trying to be helpful and somebody pushes back at you. But that's why I think it's up to us to actually shift our perception about what advice is and that it's not helpful and that it's not supportive and it's not what people need and it's not actually going to lead to the results that you're looking for. It actually creates more of an obstacle for people to change because then you become an obstacle to that change. They are pushing against you, not against themselves.
1: Well, and I think what you're saying too is there's like this added layer of giving advice because oftentimes we give advice with the expectation that the person is going to follow it. (laughs) That's it. Right. with the expectation that the person is going to follow that advice and then when they don't, it just raises our level, level of anxiety. So often now I have to tell myself if I'm going to give someone advice, I almost always as much as I can, I don't expect them to follow it. I don't. And my goal, I'm constantly telling myself when I am making suggestions, because now I try and phrase things in the wor- in ways of, it's a suggestion or it's a thought, just something to think about. And I want to let people know that you might not follow it in any thought that I have or that I share is just inspiration for you
2: to think about what might work for you. And, and this is where, you know, actually having developing a different vocabulary is very helpful so like i i do the same thing i'll say well i just had this thought and i'm wondering what you think about this but it's like i had this thought it's not about oh you should do this or why don't you blah blah blah." it's like i have this thought so tell me what your reaction when i say this is because then it's an invitation i have this thought is it crazy does it make any sense what do you think about it? Cause that it's like invitation for conversation, as opposed to this one, like I'm putting something out there as I've given you this pearl. And if you take this pearl, your life will be changed forever. As opposed to let's engage. I have this thought. It might be completely insane. It might not make any sense to you. I'm just really curious about what you think when I say this, like what's your reaction when I say this, and then it's an invitation.
1: I do something similar. I even ask if it's okay for me to share something. Yes. Right. I ask for permission. You know, I have some thoughts on this. Would you be interested in hearing them? It's okay. You know, if you don't, I I understand often when I do share my thoughts or ideas, I also will ask at the end, you know, do you think, are you interested in any of these thoughts or do you think that it might help at all. And then listen, right then listen. But I often go in with that and realize that the person probably is not going to take my advice at least, or take my suggestions at least as given. And this has happened to me either. It gets totally thrown out and the person doesn't use it at all. Okay. It's not my business. It's not my solution it's their solution, or they take some of the thoughts and ideas and they weave it into their own thoughts and ideas. And to me, that's, that's a compliment. That's great. I also try very hard that when I'm ending the conversation to say something like, well, whatever it is that you decide you're going to do, I'm sure you're going
2: to find what's going to work for you. I'm going to break down what you just said into the three parts. Number one is that you ask permission to share your thoughts about this and you do not, because a lot of times say, do you want to hear it? And then people just start talking. That's not what we do. You ask if somebody's interested in hearing about it and you wait for them to say yes or no. If they say yes, then you go on, but you're also being really clear. Well, these are just some thoughts I have and I'm just going to throw them out there. Tell me what you think about it. And then at the end of it, You're also conveying that that, you know, that they're going to do what they think is right and that you trust their choices now. And you could see how this is all relational. So, number one, you're asking for permission to share, which is actually creating safety. Number two, when you put out your thoughts, you don't have an expectation that they're actually going to take it. So it takes the edge off of it. You're just talking and also you're being open, but not desperate. And then the last one is that you're conveying your sense of trust in their process and giving them the dignity of their own process. And I am going to repeat that a thousand times because I feel like part of what we do when we're trying to save somebody's life is we take away their choices and dignity, even if we don't do it on purpose, but we don't trust them enough to move through this. But if we step out, then we get to see what They're doing on their own if we and this is about stepping in in a very safe and very open and very inclusive way. So it's not about us and them. It's about us with them. It's about us engaging with them, not just talking at somebody just so we can get this out and then we can calm ourselves down.
1: And I also go back afterwards, like I give space After the conversation, and I will go back and check in. So, hey, you know, how did that situation unfold? And I can tell you that there have been times. So I've I've done this with my loved one and I'll just use the example of work. You know, there were some complications that came up at work. We had a discussion. I asked permission to share my thoughts. I shared my thoughts. You know, how do you feel about any of this? He didn't give me much of a response other than I'll think about it. I was like, "Okay, well, I'm sure you'll figure it out. And he didn't follow any of my suggestions and he did it totally different. He did it in a way that I wouldn't have done it. Actually, I think it probably made things more complicated. But even after that happened, I took a step back and said, "Okay, I wouldn't have done that. But. He did have a job previously like he quit is what he did he just walked away from the job without any notice or anything like that but I walked away from that situation and said okay but what's the positive in all of this the positive is is that one he held a job so that means he went out and he got it and he held a job for a while two he confided in me. We had a great conversation. Three, I didn't judge him at all when he didn't handle it the way I think it should have been handled. And four, he had a learning opportunity. Yes. And I was there during a difficult time for him, you know, when there was like this mental torture going on inside of his mind. And he'll come to me the next time a situation comes up. So all in all, it ended up being a really positive interaction over an extended period of time. And uh,
2: it is what it is. This is a time for us to go back to the value also of listening and just listening as a tool. Cause like this morning, my daughter was came in and she's getting ready for school. And she's telling me about like how last night she's at the nursing home and somebody punched her and kicked her and told her whatever horrible things about her. And what happened was I let her talk, and she just talked, and I'm like, "Wow, sounds like a rough night. <laughs> that's hard." And I didn't, you know, I didn't say, "Did you talk to your supervisor?" or all the other things that went through my mind. I just listened. And what was interesting is, I, I as I was leaving, I said to her, "All right, if you want to talk more, we could talk later tonight." And she's like, "No, you did. This is what I needed. You t- you listened to me now. That's what I needed. Thanks." And that was it. And I was like. Oh my God, that was like five minutes of conversation. And you'd be surprised what meets people's needs. It's like you just show up and they're talking and you're listening and you're not fixing and you're not trying to make them feel better. If you think about this, listen to yourself and realize when you're talking, part of what happens is if somebody's listening, you get to talk things out. Okay, so if you can get somebody talking and let them keep talking, they'll often come up with their own solution. And like in the case of your son, maybe the solution is to leave. That's his solution for now. And then if you stay in relationship with him, then he talks about what it was like to leave. And what's where does that leave him? And maybe he's thinking, you know, was that a good idea? But if you're allowing the person to talk, they actually are much smarter and more wise and more able to function than we ever assume because we we usually interrupt them. So I like what you're saying. And there is another
1: piece that I'd like to address with substance use disorder in particular. And I hear this all the time, but I don't trust. Yes. Oh, their brains are hijacked. They're not making good decisions. Well, one, how do you know what their choices are going to be? There is a lot of strength In allowing for not the best choices in what you're going to do, like with my son, him not giving notice or just leaving the job was not optimal, was not the best way to handle it, but it was an opportunity. And why do I have to be in that? What is it about that situation that drew me in that I had to be the one? the Oh, wise one. Take advice from me. <laughs> Swami. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm Swami on the mountain. I'm Swami mommy. <laughs> Swami mommy. <laughs> Can you speak on that? This idea that, well, how could I possibly let him? I don't trust that my loved one is going to make the best choices or make good choices.
2: I think this is foundation to the model and actually to, to being what I call a healer, you know, and I think that we all are wounded healers, by the way, I think we're all wounded. And by the way, this is everybody on the planet and we all have the ability to heal, but we have to start with ourselves. And Part of starting with ourselves is we're not responsible for other people's healing, for one thing, because it's not possible. By the way, I got into being a clinician because I wanted to help people. That got slapped out of me very quickly because what I realized is I'm a great tool, so to speak, but I'm only helpful if somebody wants to be helped. I'm only helpful if they're willing to do the work. Like I used to say to people, I'm an excellent therapist, but you have to do all the work. And nobody ever heard the second part of the sentence, but the people who do well are the people who do the work. So my job is to hold the space for healing, to be really clear that I'm available, I'm listening. But really, when I think about the most effective and important thing that I do, it's about respecting people. It's about listening. It's about trusting that they have their own process and that it is not up to me to determine that what that process is. And when I'm... When I could create that level of safety, it's fascinating allowing people to stumble through their lives until they figure things out. But they do. And I, I have a tremendous amount of trust for people because I think people are much stronger, much smarter, much wiser than we give them credit for. And yes, mental illness does get in the way or uncontrolled mental illness and uncontrolled substance abuse gets in the way. No question about that. But still, within that, there's wisdom. There's within that, there's a self that needs to like move through it in their way, and that's the part that we have to respect and trust.
1: And this is where I think "fake it till you make it" comes in, like. Sending messages like, I know you'll choose, you know, you'll find what's going to work for you really empowers that person. Oh my gosh, you do trust me to make my own decisions. You are putting it back in my lap. But how do you know if you are always the one doing it for someone? How do you know what they're capable of and what they're not capable of if if you don't let
2: them try? That is such a clear cut answer because if you think about it, if if you're um, whoever's raising you is spoon feeding you and continues to do so by the time you're seven years old, you will never learn to pick up that spoon ever. You're being nurturing. You're being helpful. But really, all love is about stepping in and knowing when to step out. Yes. You step in, do what you can, but then you have to step out and really just love and believe in that person. And then they have to try and fail. And mistakes are part of the process. And, you know, we all say a million times, relapse is part of the whole substance use process. And my belief is that every time somebody relapses and gets clean, there's another tiny little seed that's getting planted, even if it doesn't stick. It doesn't have to stick for it to be there. And so basically what's happening is seeds are planted, seeds are planted, seeds are planted, and we don't know what's watering the seeds. I just know that time time does shift things, but it doesn't shift it if we don't change our part of it. If we're holding on to what we've always done, then the story is going to be exactly the same.
1: I totally agree.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think and this is another topic that we need to talk about one day is how do we make the decision to change? You know, how do we get out of this habit, this way, this anxiety, this reactivity? Because I really think we need to think of our own advice giving and upset as a problem. Yep. It is a problem. I, I totally agree with
1: you, Kayla. It is a problem. It's a problem when someone else's. I can't stand unsolicited advice, especially around dealing with my loved one with substance use disorder. I can't stand it. All that goes on in my mind is you have no idea what you're talking about. I am the expert in my family. I know all the little intricate details and the nuances that are going on in this situation. And you don't and one size does not fit all it does not which is why I like craft because once I found craft I could take this structure and I could fit it around what was going on in my house and find what was going to work for me which is why that unsolicited advice I put up a big wall it was like nope and I guess this is a perfect example of what we're talking about. I put up a big wall and just basically let people know "Mm -mm, I'm doing it the way I want to do it. So I think it's very much the same thing, right? Isn't that exactly what our
2: loved ones are doing? Exactly. I'm putting up a wall. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. And then it has value because people don't change unless they buy into it, unless it's their idea so really, the work has to be, how do you allow somebody to come up with their own ideas? Because then you have the shot at it. And that's what craft is about. It's not like you're shoving people into treatment because we know that's happened enough. They go to treatment. They They either leave early or they do the whole thing and then they relapse. But change is about is making a choice to change. And they, that can only come from the inside. So your brilliant ideas don't help if somebody doesn't want to hear them or if they don't feel like it's theirs. And and the other thing that I was going to say about this, it's the phrase I understand. I just have to put this out there because it's one of my pet peeves. When somebody's talking and somebody says I understand, that makes me crazy. Okay? Because unless somebody literally has lived your life, they have no clue. Because they might have similar experiences, they might think that they understand, they might think that they know, they might think that this is their thing but we're all so different we have different ways of reacting we have different family histories we have different tool sets we're wired differently so none of us understand anybody else so that's not a goal anymore it's about understanding yourself okay that's the only time you could say is i understand why i'm reacting this way That's it. That's why I like validation, because validation is says, oh, that makes sense that you would feel that way because of how you feel. But when you say I understand, it's the same thing as giving advice. It's it's putting yourself in this situation and not allowing the person space, which is what we're talking about today. That makes sense to me. (laughs) Why? Because that's the thing. It makes sense because so what's the because? Makes total sense to me that it would be very
1: frustrating to hear the words, I understand. And I also think that saying things like I understand is very much an overused, I don't know, an overused like statement so that you can then get yourself in the door to say what
2: you want to say. Right. Or that happened to me. And yeah. it's like, oh, let's change the subject. So it's about you at this moment. So I think the real what we're describing right now, and I think it's probably time for us to summarize. But really what this is about is allowing the person to have their time and space and come up with their own ideas so that they could buy into it. Because anytime we try to give advice or tell somebody that we understand or try to help them in any way other than listening and engaging in a conversation, we're making ourselves larger and taking up too much space. Okay. Which includes anxiety because our anxiety takes up a lot of space and crushes that person into a little ball so that they don't feel the space to just talk because they're afraid of our reaction. So what this is about is giving the other person space Allowing the other person, their process, allowing the other person to communicate and going back to what you said at the beginning, Laurie, which is inviting, having more invitations like, oh, I have these thoughts. Are you interested in hearing them? And then putting them out as though they're it's just like, oh, these are some thoughts. I'm just curious about what you know, I'm curious about what your responses are to them. And then at the end, really letting them know that you trust what they're going to do with this. And whatever their process is. And then the other part is checking back in. How's it going? What's been happening for you? How are you doing with this? If you think it's appropriate, because we know that could be, that could push people away at times too, but it's about checking in and seeing what happened or like, Oh, what did happen? And then not reacting to whatever their decision is. That's the hard part. Because again, if your reaction, if you're having a big reaction, it's about you, not about them. And then they're pushing against you once again. So this is about creating space and connection, which is a very hard balance. Connection is about openness, curiosity, fascination, and trusting the other person. And then they, if they're coming towards you, you're already part of the solution. Well, this was a great conversation.
1: I, I really enjoyed this conversation. And I look forward to next week.
0: Absolutely.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Laurie.